morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And blood, it is against the powers of darkness that confront us daily. A relentless battle between light and darkness, spirit and flesh. But as one caught in this struggle, you don't have to feel defeated or discouraged. God has made a way to redeem your struggle and give you victory. Are you ready for the battle? So glad you're here today. And I promise I will not put you on the spot and see what kind of knowledge of the Greek language you have. We will reserve that for me. <laughs> now, I am so glad that you're here today. What an important time for us to assemble as God's people, claiming the truth of Jesus Christ to this world and living out that truth in our lives. We are starting a new series called Our Struggle. And today, our primary text will be 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, it seems to me that there are so many people in our world these days that are just ready for a fight. Have you noticed? They just seem to be ready to engage in battle. Something is posted online that someone doesn't like or agree with, and then all of a sudden they feel the liberty to put them on blast. Or someone cuts you off in traffic and, and you feel justified in this rage, and, and it comes out in a lot of different forms, sometimes very dangerous and destructive. Or someone doesn't agree with you at work, or they speak differently with different values, and they talk in different ways, or they have different, different things that guide their lives, and it just feels like, you know, we want to engage in this, this conflict with people. Or a service provider, or a company, or a business doesn't give you what you think is good customer service, and, and so what do we do? We, we lash out at them. We feel justified in letting them hear about it, and it's usually letting them hear about it with Lots of disdain and, and bitter hearts. We just feel ready for a fight. So many people are on the verge, on the brink of war. Look at what Shakespeare said so long ago. He said, in peace there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood. Disguise fair nature with hard-favored rage. We live in a culture that seems to perpetuate hard-favored rage, don't we? We see it all around us. And sometimes it's tempting to join in the battle. And I think what he says is right. When we feel threatened, when we feel like we're backed into a corner, we come out swinging. In so many ways, it feels like the church, feels like Christianity has been and continues to be backed into a corner by a lot of different forces in our world these days. And the question is, what do we do? How do we respond if we live our lives according to the ways and the values of the world? Well, we make people pay for it. We come after them. We identify our enemies and we pursue them. We make them feel badly. We punish them. We try to gain victory over them. We try to show them that they are wrong and we are right. And if we can make them maybe inflict some pain on them, that's even better. 
so many times that's the mindset, that's the approach of Christ followers, or those who claim to be Christ followers. But make no mistake, we are in a battle. In many respects, we have been backed into a corner. We have a world and a culture that is antagonistic toward Christ. And we have choices to make. But scripture reminds us who the real enemy is. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, which will be a constant theme throughout this series, identifying who our enemy is. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces that so often come after us, those spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, you need to know that your enemy is not the government. It's not a politician that you disagree with or you don't like. It's not your neighbor who votes differently than you or lives differently than you. Your enemy is not a co-worker who disrespects God or chooses to live a different way of life. Or who maybe even punishes you or treats you poorly because you choose to live by faith. Your enemy is not another religious group who orders its lives by a different set of values. Your enemy my enemy, is the evil one and the powers of this dark world. It's so important that we realize that because so many times I see Christians, I see churches fighting the wrong fights, fighting against the wrong enemies. Now, some of those things I just mentioned may be visible manifestations of the influence of the evil one in our world, but those aren't the enemies of the Lord's church. The evil one is the enemy. As Paul says, it's the powers, the authorities, those spiritual forces of evil that are all around us. We begin a new sermon series today called Our Struggle. That phrase is taken straight out of what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And as Marty said earlier, we can all identify with this notion of struggle. And probably as we go around the room, if we were to do that, And I said, hey, what kind of struggle are you in right now? Or have you come out of? Are you facing soon? Maybe all of our stories and our struggles would be a little bit different, but they'd have some common themes. We know what it is to struggle because we live in a world that is far from perfect. A world that has yet been fully redeemed, that has been made new. It is a fallen world. And so we know about struggle, and Paul makes it very clear who our enemy is in this struggle. And so in this series, I hope we can accomplish a couple of things. First of all, simply to remind us that we are in a constant struggle. And let me say right off the bat that the war, the war against sin, the war against death, that war has been won. We have victory through Jesus Christ. And we claim that victory only by the power, the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus And the power of God that manifests itself in raising him from that grave. He has won the war. And yet, we all know that we have a daily conflict. A daily battle against the evil one. Against the evil forces all around us. And secondly, speaking of that, it's a good reminder for us 
to be in tune with who our true enemy is so that we aren't fighting the fights that we don't need to fight, so that we aren't pouring energy into things that God has called us not to be a part of, so that we aren't damaging our witness for Jesus Christ by being combative in this world. It's easy to assume that this struggle that we're talking about, that this spiritual warfare that we know is a reality, it's, e- it's so easy to assume that it's, that it's out there, that it's in, in the government or it's in the, the places and among the people who have influence, who make decisions that then trickle down to the rest of us. It's so easy to think about this conflict as a part of the workplace and if my boss would just do this and there's so much strife and there's so many things going on. But I think we need to remember that this is a battle that is so much closer to home. We need to localize our perspective. We need to realize where the real battlefield is. Writer John Mark Comer, whose material will inform some of this series, says this about where the battle takes place. He says, we feel this constant conflict, not just out there in culture or in our digital news feeds, but inside the fabric of our own minds and bodies. A kind of inner tug of war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting. A tearing at the fabric of our soul's peace. Maybe those words resonate with you. Maybe that's where you are right now. Inside of you, if we could see, is this struggle, this tension, this tug of war. And that's the image we chose for this series because I think we can relate to it this pulling and pushing and trying to gain ground, but yet feeling like I can't conquer this, I can't overcome this, this fear, this anxiety, this sin, this temptation, this struggle, this relationship that's not going well. We know about the conflict. And what does he say? And I agree with what he says. Instead of thinking about it out there, we need to localize our perspective on this struggle. And truly know where it's taking place. Comer goes on to offer this paradigm of the struggle. A working theory based on biblical concepts as to how this battle plays out. You can see it there on the screen. It starts with deceptive ideas. The enemy, the evil one, our true enemy, is often called what in the text, the biblical text, the deceiver. And he wants to plant seeds of deception. And when we hear those lies and we begin to adopt and buy into those lies, what happens? Those things shape our desires, the way we live our lives, the things we say, the things we do, the decisions we make. And if those actions, those behaviors, those words, if those are based on deceptive ideas, then they are going to be distorted. They are going to be disordered. They are not going to reflect the true kingdom of God. But then, as he points out, and we all know, we live that way in a world that validates those falsehoods in our lives. When we buy into one of Satan's lies and we think, there's, you know, I can understand that. Yeah, I think I will adopt that. The world says, well, sure, because that's truth. At least that should be your truth. And a world validates the deceptions of the evil one. The devil the flesh, the world, all words used in scripture to describe who is at the other end of that rope trying to pull you away 
from God, pull you away from truth, pull you away from true discipleship. As I said, it starts with the evil one, planting deceptive ideas in our minds. And when we hear those ideas, we come across those ideas, there's, there's usually just enough truth, there's just enough logic, there's just enough common sense and community endorsement that we think, you know what, it, it, it might be that way. That might be true. It sounds plausible. And then we go with it. And then, as I said, it's normalized in our world. It's just reinforced in our surrounding. And so it seems legitimate as it's validated in our lives. We're rewarded for behavior by a world that is ordered by a different set of values. We are rewarded for living out the deceptions of the evil one. You've probably heard about AI, artificial intelligence. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you don't have a clue as to what that is. AI, I don't know what that is. Artificial intelligence. Maybe you think, you know, that's, that's what you do at dinner parties when you try to sound smart. Artificial intelligence, right? We all have that uncle at the holidays around the table who tries to sound smarter than he is. Maybe that's your version of artificial intelligence. Some of you know exactly what it is. Some of you work with it every day. Some of you have tapped into its potential, and you know its power. Well, a few weeks ago, in our Bible class, Dustin Risley decided to put together a sermon by me using artificial intelligence. Somebody in class said it was one of my best sermons. <laughs> Thank you. Well, he took my face. I mean, it was my face. It took my voice, it sounded just like me, it even had my vocal mannerisms and my style, and he put all that together using AI, and then it preached a sermon, a lesson, but not one word of it came from me. The content was not authentic to me. It was someone else, it was something else, and yet there was just enough truth, there was just enough logic, all the outward signs looked plausible that it would be so easy to say yeah that's that's him that's truth whatever he's saying we should probably we should probably listen to that i tell you that because i think it's a wonderful metaphor i'm not saying ai is evil certainly like a lot of things with technology it can be used for evil purposes i'm not condemning artificial intelligence i'm holding it up as a wonderful metaphor for what satan does Satan plants these deceptive ideas in our minds, and there's just enough truth, and there's just enough logic that we think, you know what, it sounds right. It sounds right. You see, we are in a struggle for truth. And where does this struggle take place? It's not out there. It's right here. Closer, so much closer than you think. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, notice that is in quotations, when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. So what is Paul saying there? He's offering a defense and he's giving a message or an appeal. And evidently there's some people in Corinth that are saying about Paul that his bark is 
much worse than his bite. That at a distance, he's not willing to confront things. That when he's in their presence, he doesn't speak up. And basically what Paul says is, correcting them, is I'm trying to demonstrate the heart of Christ. I don't want to have to call you out in person. So he says, receive this message I'm giving you from afar. Well, what's the message? Well, there's several components to the message, but one of those components is the phrase right after that, and that is this, we don't live by the standards of this world. You see, the world lives according to their own set of standards that are so often in stark contrast to the values of the kingdom of God. And if you want an example of that, just open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Everything Jesus says is so counterintuitive, it's so countercultural. And he says, this is the way of the kingdom of God. And it's going to stand out and be so much different from the way of the world. And Paul says, here's the message. We don't live by the standards of the world. We think differently. We live differently. We see the world differently. We see ourselves differently. We see other people differently. How does that relate to what we're talking about? The world tends to believe the lies that Satan offers up. The world tends to be deceived. And way too often we do as well because unfortunately we do think like the world sometimes. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 2, that well-known passage, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't look like the world but be, he says, transformed, be changed, be different. Do you know what the evil one really wants? Do you know what he really wants? He wants you to start thinking like the world thinks. He wants you to reason with a conventional wisdom of a culture that doesn't seek him or place him first. He wants you to grow numb to any form of truth that goes against the grain of the prevailing culture of our day. He wants you to believe that there is no such thing as timeless truth. That truth is something that is negotiated. It is socially constructed. It is circumstantial. And that you have your truth and I have my truth. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that your identity comes from something other than being an image bearer of God, a child of God, reborn as you're clothed with Christ, as a new creation for the glory of God. He wants you to believe that you are something or someone else, that you are what other people say you are, that you are what you have, that you are what you do, that you are what you fear. He wants you to buy into the lie that you need that sinful behavior. That the pleasure it offers far outweighs the damage it does. He wants you to believe that everything and everyone exists for your personal happiness. And that your personal happiness should be the highest pursuit of your life. That you are entitled to happiness. You deserve happiness. And we could go on and on because there's an arsenal of lies the evil one wants you to believe. And here's why he wants you to believe it. Because if you believe the lies... If you start thinking like the world thinks, then his job is done. 
He doesn't have to convince you that what is right is really wrong and what is wrong is really right because you will convince yourself. So Paul says, arm yourself. Be ready for battle. Embrace the struggle for truth. We continue in verse 3. For though we live in the world, Paul acknowledges we have to live here in this fallen world. This is where we are. We exist in this time, in this place, in all of its imperfections. We live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. We aren't trigger happy. We aren't on the brink of combat. We don't assault other people. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, the truth of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. It's remarkable here the language that Paul uses. He uses war language, this war metaphor, which is surprising because his life and his teachings have been shaped by whom? By Jesus. Jesus who always taught this non-violent existence. To turn the other cheek, to bless those who curse you. To love your enemies. And not only did Jesus teach that, but he lived it, didn't he? Rather than fighting his enemies, what did Jesus do? He died for them. However, in the New Testament, we read Paul's instructions to fight the good fight. To put on the full armor of God. He tells Timothy to fight the battle well. And he refers to other Christians as fellow soldiers. So why all the warfare language? I think it's to stir us, to move us, to wake us up, to stir us out of our indifference and our apathy, to alert us to the reality of Satan's assaults on our souls. Because the reality of war is jarring. It is shocking. I mean, just look at the images coming out of Israel and Ukraine. You see those images of war, and they are so discouraging and so frightening. And you have to almost look away. You see, that's what war is. That's what war does. I think Paul was using something that his first century audience could understand. They knew about battles. They knew about war. And unfortunately, in this fallen world, we still do today, don't we? All too well. We are at war. And this war is being fought not out there, not in the literal battlefields, not in the government, among the policymakers. Again, maybe manifestations of influence of the evil one, but this war, where is it being fought? It's being fought in the six inches right between your ears and your mind. Or as the New Testament often says, heart, because heart for, for those people meant the center of their being, where they processed things, where they made decisions, where they thought. It's right there in your heart, right there in your mind. So what is the goal of this battle? Of course, to gain victory. We've already won the war, but these daily battles are tough. 
And Paul says, we don't fight like the world fights. We don't conform to the pattern of this world. We don't attack. We don't assault. We don't belittle. We don't manipulate other people. What do we do as we fight this battle on the battleground of our minds? What do we do? He tells us right there. We demolish the strongholds of lies by taking every thought captive. That's what we do. Your mind is where your thoughts are formed and refined. It's where they live. This is where arguments are made and measured. This is where we put truth under the microscope as we live out and observe and experience life. This is where you decide what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what is good and what is bad. And so how do we win this struggle? How do we gain progress on the tug of war? How do we engage the evil one for the battle of your mind and your soul by taking every thought captive? So we go back to Romans 12, verse 2. Remember he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world shape you into its mold. But he says, be transformed. Well, there's more to that verse. Be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to discern right from wrong. You'll be able to see what God has in store for you, the will of God. Where does that come from? By renewing your mind, by allowing the spirit that dwells in you, if you're a child of God, to renew the way you think constantly, guiding your thoughts. Taking your thoughts captive is an active mental exercise of renewal thinking differently than the world seeing and understanding and interpreting life with the mind of christ i've mentioned before that we often have critters in our backyard we have a huge open field behind our back fence and so every once in a while we get gophers and moles and armadillos and they always tear things up they just destroy things and so over the years we've become quite good at trapping different kinds of animals and what we've learned is you've got to use a different trap and a different approach for each critter most recently we've had this infestation of armadillos armadillos can do a lot of damage to your yard and your flowers and your flower beds and so what we learned about trapping armadillos is you got to have the right trap and so we have this long rectangle shaped cube it's metal and mesh it's like this little cage, and on either end is a, is a door, a door that flaps up and down. And those doors are triggered by a little lever inside the middle of the trap. And so the little armadillo walks in there, he steps on the lever, and it triggers those doors to come down, and he's trapped. Well, when I first started doing this, I thought, well, what do you put in there to make an armadillo go inside the cage? And someone said, well, you put worms in there. And I thought, if I put a pile of worms right there, they're just going to crawl off outside the cage. I mean, they won't stay there. There'll just be this buffet of worms around the cage for the armadillo. So I said, there's got to be a better way. And so everything online says you have to corral them into the cage. Some of you know this. You have to corral them. And so you build a little fence or you stake some things down and put some plastic up or you put boards up and you make this funnel so that they just sort of funnel into the cage. I don't, evidently, they're not the smartest animals in the world. 
Or you put it up next to the house, maybe between the hedge and the house, and you just sort of pick a path that you think they'll be on looking for grubs or whatever they're looking for, and they'll just kind of walk in there. And once they walk in there, the door's closed, they're trapped. You take it captive, right? To use our language, you take it captive. Well, most recently, a couple of weeks ago, had our trap set. There was a hole and a little dugout tunnel under our back fence, and so I just put it right there, and I go out there, and sure enough, the, the trap is sprung. The doors are down, but there is no armadillo in there. Thinking, what happened? And I get to looking a little more closely, and the, the metal holding one of the doors is just completely bent. This guy broke out of there, I guess. He busted out of jail. I don't know. Maybe there was a big armadillo. It was, I don't know. I never saw him. He hasn't come back. He broke out. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Probably way more information than you need to know about trapping armadillos. You never know when that might come in handy, though, right? I think that's what we do with our thoughts. This idea of taking our thoughts captive means we corral our thoughts. We lead them into a place where we can discern, where we can hold them up to the will of God. You remember what he said? So that they are obedient to Christ. We corral those thoughts so that we have them right there. We can see them. We decide what we want to do with them. We want to conform them, not to the ways of the world, but to the way of Christ, so that they are obedient to Christ. But you know what happens sometimes? If you're like me, sometimes those thoughts escape. Somehow they make it out of there. They make it out of there, and then they influence how I live. And they are thoughts that produce actions that don't honor God that more closely reflect the ways of the world. He says, take every thought captive. This means it requires you to do something. By the help of the Spirit, this is an active endeavor, not passive. It means you don't just soak up whatever you hear, whatever sounds right, whatever feels right. You don't just form your truth when there is truth there. You don't passively absorb the lies of the evil one never refusing to put up resistance or refusing to be intentional about how you think but actively apprehending your thoughts your assumptions your beliefs your attitudes and make them obedient to christ you are not a passive victim of satan's lies those lies are powerless until you believe them, until you validate them, until you verify them. Satan has no power over you until you give him power. Your battle against the powers of darkness in this world, they begin right here in the mind. So take every thought captive. Throughout this series, we're going to look at some of the lies that the evil one throws at us. We're going to look at who is on the other side of the rope pulling against us. Ultimately, we're going to, spoiler alert, claim victory in Christ. But in the meantime, we know that we, as Paul said, live in this world. And this world is full of struggle, of tension, of constant tug-of-wars. And so here's my challenge for, for you and for me this week. It's pretty simple as a concept difficult to do and that is to capture your thoughts take every thought captive capture your thoughts 
Be intentional about how you think. What are you doing with those thoughts that you have that are thoughts of resentment towards someone? We can't always control what thoughts pop into our head, but what are you doing with them? Those thoughts of resentment because you harbor a grudge, someone has hurt you, someone has said something, they've done something, what do you do with those thoughts? Do you let them shape your attitude? Do you let them shape your behavior toward them? Maybe even displacing that anger and frustration, that bitterness on other people that are close to you. Because you're upset with this person, you take it out on these people. What are you doing with those thoughts? What about those self-honoring thoughts? Those thoughts that say you need to promote yourself because no one else is going to. You need to look out for number one. You need to make much of yourself because that will make you feel good about you. You see, that's the way the world thinks, isn't it? But we don't live according to the ways of the world. So what are you going to do with those thoughts? What about those lustful or inappropriate thoughts? Are you going to let them take root in your heart, in your mind, to justify behavior that dishonors God? Are you going to follow that line of thinking and chase pleasure? What about when you're confronted with a decision? How are you going to make that decision? How are you going to weigh out what you should do? What values, because we all use values when we make decisions, what values are you going to allow to inform that decision? Values that are self-seeking, values that are worldly, or values that are Christ-like, that reflect the kingdom of God? What about when you're challenged by someone who disagrees with you? What about when you're challenged by someone who mistreats you? What about when you're challenged by someone who sees the world completely different from you? And you have thoughts about them, about what you should do and how you should respond. Capture those thoughts and hold them up to the person and the life and the teaching and the death of Jesus Christ. So that by the power of the Spirit in you, helping you, guiding you, you can make those thoughts obedient to Christ. And then act on those thoughts. Act on those cruciform thoughts. That way of thinking. It's a big challenge. But if you want to gain progress in this struggle, this tug of war that we feel every day, Paul says right there how to do it. The battlefield is your mind, it's your heart. Take those thoughts captive and let them reflect the way of Jesus. If we can encourage you, please let us do that. We often end this time with an offer, an invitation. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will go to the parlor in just a second. It's a room right behind me. And if you need encouragement or if something is weighing heavy on your heart and you need to share that, they will hold that in confidence if that's what you want them to do. But they will honor you and your prayer request. They will pray for you. They will be there for you. They want to be there for you. That's a part of, of shepherding, and they take that very seriously. Or you can come down to the front. If you want to make something known, we can pray for you. We'd be happy to do that today. Or maybe today you're ready to choose Jesus, to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God to repent of sins. I don't want to be identified with the darkness in my life. I want Jesus to take those away by the power of his blood shed on the cross. He makes that power. He makes that available to you. 
confess your faith that Jesus is Lord and be baptized is this act of faith, this surrender of will, this death to self. Be baptized into Christ, raised by God as a new creation. That can be you. That's the life God made you to live. If we can help you today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.